welcome to rhetoric Orama, a podcast about all things rhetoric. Here are your hosts, Dr. David R. Dewberry and Dr. Tim, as seen on TV, McGee. I'm Dave. And I'm Tim. And in our second season, we're focusing on rhetoric and religion. Today, we discuss the power and the mystery of the Jeremiah. But first, let's hear some untranslated Latin or Greek to get us started. Ventrem meum, ventrem meum dolio, sensus cordis mei turbati sunt, in me non tocebo quoniam vocam bucanae, audiwit anima mea clamorum pro alie. That reminds me of that time they kicked us out of that all-you-can-eat cheeseburger uh, festival. Oh, I remember that. It was terrible. <laughs> it was horrible. All right, Tim, what is the Jeremiah? It's a, it's a political sermon. Uh, the three main components of a Jeremiah are covenant, violation and atonement and it seems to have a basis in the epideictic genre now i have vague memories tim uh probably because i blacked out from that cheeseburger festival <laughs> but uh remind me what the jeremiah or what the uh, epideictic genre is and how it relates to uh the jeremiah the epideictic that's the one that's sort of the uh the rhetoric of of you know celebrating the here and now so things like graduation speeches and eulogies mm-hmm. are epideictic and so um, the Jeremiah, it's about blaming people and getting them to act right. And it's very much about the here and now. Some bad stuff's going to happen soon because some people violated the covenant. And why do they call it a Jeremiah specifically? It's named after the prophet Jeremiah, who we find in the Old Testament. And his style was one of lamenting that the chosen people had fallen short of what they were supposed to do. And they better get their acts together. He was a master of warning rhetoric. And in Jeremiah's case, the specific shortfall was engaging in idolatry, which he characterized as adultery. The people were unfaithful to the Lord, so there's going to be hell to pay when some bad dudes come down from the north. Mm, mm. Like that cardiologist who sees our blood work after the aforementioned <laughs> cheeseburger thing. Yeah. So there's this covenant with God, right? Yeah. What, we, what people were supposed to do. Uh, but there's a violation of that. They failed to live up to that covenant, and now they need to repent and atone for their waywardness, right? Mm-hmm. So it seems like, Tim, there's a touch of deliberative rhetoric in here, too. Uh, you know, uh, we've fallen short, but we need to address that and find a new way or a way to move forward. Uh, you're right. And, and the waywardness is not just about religion, but also politics, which in a religious society, there's really no distinction between the two. Some might say even in a non-religious society, there's no distinction between the two. But uh, regardless of the topic, whether it's politics or religion or any other uh, topic, there are two key themes to that Jeremiah, right? So there's fear, the fall from grace or the fear of being punished, and the hope of regaining what was lost or being saved. Sounds a lot like contemporary politics to me. I agree. So, so you're bad now, but you can be good again, right? Well, it seems like you can be good again if you're going to do what the speaker is trying to get you to do. And this is why uh, rhetoricians talk about this thing. And, and in this case, it was legitimately to appease God, lest he smite you. Mm, I hate being smited. Yeah, I've been smitten on occasion, but never smited. <laughs> That's right. So now the Puritans, right, they brought the Jeremiah to, uh, to North America in the 17th century. Um, and it evolved over time to what we know it today. Yeah, and they also brought those cool-looking hats and the shoes with the buckles on them. Do you remember that time that you showed up to campus wearing one of those and they escorted you <laughs> off as a person non grata? Right? 
Yeah. So it turns out those wiggy looking hats and those shoes with the buckles and stuff were added to the whole pilgrim during the Victorian era. Uh, at least that's what I heard. I'm not sure. I wasn't there. It was probably at that cheeseburger festival. But back to the Jeremiah. But wait, before you go, I want to plug an upcoming session of rhetoric Rama sure. uh, that will include one of the most famous Jeremiah's, Jonathan Edwards' Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God which is both a Jeremiah and one of the greatest hellfire and damnation sermons of all time. So please look forward to that episode in the months to come, assuming that is that we're not actually in the end times right now and that there will be no future. Now, back to the Jeremiah. All right. So for the religious minded, the Jeremiah was about punishment. You failed up to live up. You failed to live up to the word of God. So be ready. But the Jeremiah morphed into something from uh, from punishment into a prophecy of sort. That greatness will come. That's the prophecy. And that prophecy will happen because we are Americans. Greatness will come to Americans. Uh, and there was a promise. And that promise has not yet been achieved, but we're going to make it happen, assuming we're here. <laughs> right? Now, now, that doesn't sound religious at all. It's, it's not really. Uh, the Jeremiah morphed also from a religious rhetoric, one to one, based on this idea of civil religion. So we should probably get into that. Yeah, probably you should explain that. Thanks, Tim. All right, so sociologist Robert Bella, um, he wrote about civil religion and said there actually exists alongside of and rather clearly differentiated from the churches an elaborate and well-institutionalized civil religion in America. So it seems kind of strange to say that civil religion is secular, but it has uh, uh, it echoes with the idea of being religious but not religious and there's no real holy scripture to the civil religion if anything it's the political speeches uh, the political writings that serve as American scripture um, and and when people write about civil religion they say if there's any one divine quote-unquote divine text it's uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson's Declaration of Independence I'm giving him full credit for that Right. All righty. That's the one where he says, Dear George, we were promised something that's fallen short. Now we're out of here to create a more perfect union. Okay, thanks. Bye. That's pretty much what he said um, <laughs> with a smiley emoji. Uh, so uh, uh, those are the Holy Scriptures. The founding fathers, so to speak, uh, served as our quote-unquote gods, right? So there's uh, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington. Abraham Martin and John. Right. Oh, no, wait. <laughs> That was a song from the late 60s. Oh, yes. <laughs> if you were there, you don't remember. Um, so Bill explains that uh, America's civil religion is not Christian per se, but it's certainly inspired by the idea of Christianity. So America's civil religion is a manifestation of the archetypes in the, uh, in the Bible. So, so Europe is Egypt, and America is the promised land, and God has led his people to establish a new social order, that will be a light unto all the nations. Yeah, the Puritans were replaced by Americans, and we are special. We're fundamental to saving this world, Tim. American exceptionalism. Bingo. The covenant with God is replaced with the American dream. So uh, I pledge allegiance to the flag and to the United States for which it stands. You know, you know, no, 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 no. You should be singing James Brown's "Living in America," like with a Living full in America. Movie. Yeah. Ow. All right. So back to the Jeremiah. It goes from covenant, violation, and atonement to promise, decline, and prophecy. And many presidents have used this in their rhetoric. Uh, America is the great land. Americans are the chosen people. 
and they have made it to that they have not made it to that ideal so here's my plan to get us there for a better future for a better future you can see this in the genre of uh, environmental discourse civil rights rhetoric yeah marty king yeah even an old marty king right <laughs> Yeah, the African Americans were promised freedom, all men created equal, Emancipation Proclamation. That check has been returned, stamped as insufficient funds, and he states, I have a dream to move society where it needs to be. Yeah, in uh, uh, scholars have even looked at songs of Bob Dylan. Uh, some may know him as Robert Zimmerman, uh, Michael Moore movies, uh, and even TV news shows with uh, the pundits and all those on cable TV. Those have all been described as uh, uh, Jeremiah. Uh, uh, did you know that Robert Zimmerman spent some of his younger teenage years in Hibbing, Minnesota? I, I believe. Was that his place of birth? That was not his place of birth, but uh, uh, I think that was the second place that his family moved after he was born. Uh, and the Hibbing Public Library, let's do a shout out to our, our favorite library in Hibbing. They have a nice museum dedicated to uh, Bob Dylan's younger years. Uh, and they have some nice artifacts. They have the bathroom window from the house and two floor tiles from when they uh, destroyed the house to, to uh, what is it, rehab it. And it's there. You can Excellent. go see his bathroom window. Excellent. I know. I would like to look out of that bathroom window someday. <laughs> you can just see the wall behind it. All right. Now, one concern with this genre is that the problems people face, they're due to the people failing themselves when in truth, the system, the political, social, and institutional structures that we live within might actually be the cause of our failures to live up to what was promised. Yeah, it's not really the, uh, the people's failure, it's the system's failure, and the, system, the people are the victim of that system is that critique. Right, Tim? Yeah. All right, Tim, let's get to our take-home points. Excellent. So, the Jeremiah seemed to be a form of religious rhetoric. It was a form of religious rhetoric. And it evolved into this so non-religious type of rhetoric that uh, that strangely maintained its its quasi-religion nature. Uh, it's been used by the religious. It's been used by the non-religious in order to create some sort of negative feeling that something would have happened, or something that should have happened, has not. So we need to fix that, either because we're going to get punished, or because it's our divine duty to do so. Excellent. Now, I think that Jeremiah lost something essential when it drifted away from explicitly sexual notion of the people being unfaithful. Obviously, you can't start a workplace motivational speech by calling the workers a bunch of dirty whores, but you might get some traction by identifying the boss as the unfaithful party and then hope to bring him back into the loving relationship with the rank and file. I like your take. I like your take. All right, here's my challenge. We all know that civil religion is based on the idea of Christianity, as we just talked about. But there's some key differences. We also know that while the president has been seen as, quote-unquote, the uh, quote unquote, uh, according to uh, Robert Bella, the high priest of American civil religion, and the, founding and the founding fathers ordained it, there's a question about the other side, Tim, and this is your question. So my question to you, Tim, does American civil religion need a satanic image to exist and if so who is that person oh that's a good question and uh i think i won't say it needs a satanic image but it certainly benefits from one because you always have you want a nice antithetical egg on and so who is that person um a lot of times uh, in the past it has been popular culture so you know back in the days when um the FBI was uh, sort of investigating Louie Louie. 
you know, basically rock and roll as a manifestation of the satanic urge is one case. And more recently, it hasn't been so much popular culture as the media has been identified as uh, the satanic force in our culture. So how do you like that answer? I think that was a very good answer. I, uh, uh, I definitely see it resonates with the, you know, uh, you know, we were talking about the 60s earlier, you know, that was Nixon pretty much saw them as the enemy. And then it morphed, you know, I guess even with him, into the media being the enemy, um, but I was I was surprised you didn't say the opposing party. Uh huh. Right. That that would have been a better answer. Well, no, I like your answer even better. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I just think it's the the uh, what is it the cliche answer to go to? Well, it's the other guy, right? Yeah. The other person who is the uh, the offending party. So what do you got for me, Tim? Okay, Dave, you are always one who's talking about the. Uh, complications of a mixed audience so let's go into a a workplace situation there's a startup which uh, has relied on some uh, you know venture capitalists and then a whole bunch of people who are working day and night for a little reward with the idea that soon there's going to be a big payoff now all of a sudden the CEO says okay we're gonna go public with some stock and now half of the people who've been doing it feel that the covenant has been broken by the CEO, whereas the other half of the people think, no, the covenant has been broken by the people who suddenly were agitating to to form a union and get better pay. Mm -hmm. So uh, with this mixed audience, how might a Jeremiah deal with this uh, universal feeling of broken covenant, but disagreement over who broke the covenant? You know, that's a good question, Tim. My answer is going to go back to the first thing you said. It's about that epidictic genre. And you taught us in that episode in season one that that type of discourse is firmly embedded within a specific audience. So how might uh, a Jeremiah address that situation? I would say it depends on who the rhetoric comes from. If it comes from within the audience of the the workers who've uh, uh, felt like they've been uh, let down or not been given what they've been promised, that might shape and form their ways. If it's from the quote-unquote management, uh, I think you're going to hear a, a different perspective. And in a sense, each other is going to play each, the other side. Going back to my cliche answer, uh, from my question to you, is is they would probably blame that other person failing to live up to that. But I also think that there might be a fundamental difference between those types of discourses about... Um, you know what was promised in religious kind of society or religious discourse i think that rhetoric is not so explicitly delineated you know much like a contract would the bible and other holy texts don't say you know according to subsection a paragraph b of the foregoing party a shall be receiving xyz in exchange for you know this what that so that might alter that kind of structure so I'm going to take the position that those two types of discourses may not necessarily be the same because I don't know if we can, if religious rhetoric and business rhetoric are technically the same, although I think they do overlap in some, some contexts. Great answer. 
Great answer, Dave. Particularly on that point about, you know, in a religious covenant, the things are not lined out in subject, you know, subsection A, etc. And I think that might often be the case in one of these startups where you've got some guy with a great idea or a woman with a great idea, and then you get a bunch of enthusiastic followers, and it's never really explicitly spelled out mm -hmm. who's going to get what part of what share. Everybody's just working overtime because dream yeah. teamwork makes the dream work. Uh, but then when suddenly things are going to go public and there's billions of dollars to be had, uh, that covenant uh, could be found to be lacking in, in specific uh, sort of uh, distributions of, of rewards. Mm -hmm. You know what we should do? We should ask our listeners to email us what their thoughts on this would be. <laughs> That's a great idea, Dave. All right. We good? We're good. Now it's time for the bonus content. Will it be a fallacy, a historical anecdote, or rhetorical device? Let's have Dr. Tim spin the wheel. Oh, goody. A rhetorical device. Yay. All right. The... Uh stylistic device of today is zoomorphism. So that is describing or ascribing animal-like qualities to another non-animal thing, such as trees or fruit or people. Or, you know, hey, here, here's one. What about this? Is, is zoomorphism uh, the tiger king? Uh, or he's the king of the tigers. He's the king of the tigers. But also, you know, if you look at what he's wearing, it's, uh -huh. it's almost like he's embodying a tiger. Along yeah. with uh, uh, Carol, what's her name? Uh, Baskins. She, Carol Baskins, yeah. She, too, looks like a, a, a tiger queen. So what are some examples, Tim? Uh, something like uh, barking up the wrong tree. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, or, you know, the notion of Batman. Uh-huh. Okay. Aquaman. There you go. And uh, Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Ooh, that's a, that's a throwback. <laughs> yeah. He was a good friend of mine. I never understood a th single word he said. Tim, who's sponsoring this episode? Jerry's Bullfrog Emporium, your headquarters for everything the frog fancier needs. From a wide variety of bullfrogs and bullfrog amenities, including tanks, ponds, and filtration systems. We also carry a full range of dietary items for the species Lithobates catesbianus, including crayfish, snails, water beetles, dragonfly larvae, fish, small turtles, young water birds, and other frogs. All our bullfrogs are domestically sourced and guaranteed healthy for 30 days or your money back. That's Jerry's Bullfrog Emporium. We put the rib in ribbit. I'm David R. Dewberry, and that's Tim as seen on TV McGee. We're professors of communication at Ryder University, and this has been Rhetoric Rama, a podcast about all things rhetoric. We'd like to thank our British voiceover artist, and we'd like to thank our musical director, Tom Santiago. If you have any questions or are looking for more information, you can contact us via our website, rhetoric.fun, or consult your local library. Okay. It's a wrap.